morning, everyone, and welcome to our latest Elevate podcast. So today I'm going to be talking to Paul Matthews, and we're going to be covering the topic, which is all around, is learning facing a new problem right now, or has COVID just surfaced an old problem? So I'll let Paul say hello in a minute, but just to introduce that Paul is the CEO of People Alchemy, a business that focuses on learning in the flow of work and ensuring that it results in measurable and sustainable changes in behavior. So something I'm quite passionate about and Elevate uh, as a business is quite passionate about. So this session is relating to how COVID has or hasn't changed the need of the learning function. And in particular, we'll look at some of the views that Paul covers in his new ebook, which is named How to Reboot Training for 2020 and Beyond. So I've already said some of the things that Paul talks about is, is quite topical for us. Uh, this topic is close to my own heart as I've recently had an article published in Training Journal where we too talk about the learning function and its needs to change in order to service the needs of its customers going forward. So I'll uh, swing over to Paul to say good morning. Hi Paul, how are you? Oh, good morning. Good morning. Good to, good to speak to you. Thank you for joining us, Paul. Um, you know, we're running a number of these where we want to talk to people with, a, with an interesting um, and relevant view. So thank you for spending the time talking to me this morning. I'll let Paul introduce some of the points that he makes in, in his books. You know, I'm, I'm certainly noticing and, and what we were talking about recently and what got us to the point of wanting to, to cover this podcast is, you know, we're very much in the client, in the client space. So we consult with organizations around sales, customer service, so a lot of our work is done on, on boots on the ground, face-to-face -face environment. And we're finding a lot of our customers are just asking the question, right, can you shift your content straight to virtual? And you know what we're trying to do is talk to people around, it's not just changing the medium to virtual. Actually, what we have to do is really look at, is that method of delivery gonna solve the problem? So what is the problem we're trying to solve? And really taking a step back to that point rather than just you know, turning content into a virtual delivery. So I know you talk a lot about this in, in your book, Paul. Do you want to give us a bit of an overview of, um, you know, some of the things that, you, that you're talking about to, on this topic? I think you've, you've kind of got to the nub of it there is, is taking that step back and saying, well, why are we doing this anyway? So rather than just that knee-jerk reaction of let's take what we're doing in a traditional classroom approach and shift it into the virtual classroom, it, this is a great opportunity to take a step back and saying, well, why are we doing that? What are we seeking to achieve as a result of doing that training? Um, and then that starts to inform better how you should des uh, design what you're doing going forward. And usually when I ask people about, well, why are you doing this training? Um, they start to say things, well, well, so people can perform better so that they can learn something and so on. So there's a lot of things that come out, but eventually what they sort of, zero in on is that whole performance thing and ultimately they're saying well in order for them to perform better we need them to behave better so then i sort of say well so in that case what you're really trying to deliver is behavior change rather than learning or some kind of knowledge intervention or whatever ultimately you're seeking behavior change um, and so i said in order to figure out what behaviors you want ultimately you should be going taking that step back and saying well rather than doing what's called a training needs analysis or a learning needs analysis or even just a needs analysis why don't you call it a behavioral needs analysis and then actually analyze the behaviors you want as an output from whatever program you're going to develop and then start from that 
endpoint of the behaviors you want and work backwards through your design. And eventually you'll end up back thinking about, well, maybe that might involve a bit of content and some skills practice and so on. But start from the behavioral end, as opposed to the way that most people have started learning and development interventions for a long, long time, which is we've got to do some management skills or something like this. Therefore, what content do they need? And they'll just develop a course based on the content. So that, that's kind of the, the, the nub of the book is how do you deliver behavior change? Um, and then I look at, um, given that, and then given the fact that we also have to add that word remotely onto the end of it, how do we deliver that behavior change remotely? Because that seems to be what we're going to be stuck with for some considerable time going forwards. I mean, COVID's just going to be something endemic that we live with over the longer term, whether we get a vaccine or not, I suspect, in the same way that flu and other things that we have at the moment are. So I think we're in for this kind of, some level of social distancing or whatever over potentially quite a long haul um, and a lot more remote and virtual working and so on. So the changes we're making are going to be sticking with us for some time. Um, I think that's just the reality, particularly in areas like this, um, except perhaps in my home country of New Zealand, where they seem to have beaten it and they're pretty much back to life as normal, other than closed borders, which obviously is economically um, a bit tough on them. So, um, yeah, so then the ebook kind of goes into a, a kind of design methodology uh, focusing on how do you deliver behavior change? And clearly that then brings into you, in, you into the whole area of learning transfer. Um, if you're going to deliver, how do you ensure that whatever is learned is operationalized and activated in the, in the, the, the flow of work in such a way that people uh, change their behaviors and adequately to execute the strategy, whatever that is going forward. Um, so that, that's kind of how it's all wrapped up in the book. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting point because um, I suppose if, if you just do what I've heard a lot of people doing, which is just you, have, you might have had a day training course and you're just now just turning that virtual, then actually it could have a, um, a reverse effect, which is that, the engagement of it is, you know, it's not hitting, it's not hitting the problem or the learning is now too long. It's not the right medium for delivery just because you can't get face to face. We had, uh, we had a customer who we're working with at the moment and they said, um, and we, so we paused the program before lockdown and we're, we're talking to them again and said, the needs of our people have changed. You know, we, we were doing a customer program. It was all around how do we serve our customers better? And the challenge now is that We've got people working from home. Their own mental health isn't great. They're feeling isolated. They're feeling like there's not enough focus on them. So the organization that we're talking to now, what we've got to do is we've got to get focusing back on employee. Mm. So we want to ask our employees to be better with customers. That's still a need. We still have a need to service our customers better. But there's a very different frame of reference for the audience, which is their own situation is, uh, you know, is, is challenging. So, you know, what we could have easily done there is just rolled out the training virtually. And I think we would have really disengaged people by missing the points. So actually, we've got to change the content. But now we've got to think, well, what's the best way in which we engage these people? Is it to run loads of training at them or do we completely flip it on its head and think again? So I think it's really relevant with you know, one of our key customers right now. One, one of the questions I suppose I have is, do you think then that one of the outcomes could be that we, we don't then do learning or, you know, there's different ways of getting to that audience rather than just typically delivering some content? 
Um, well, I think there will always be a need of a content delivery. I mean, change is happening faster now than it's ever happened, some would argue. Yeah. And as soon as you have change, that means people have to behave differently within the new context they're operating within. And in order for them to have, behave differently, it's almost certain they're going to need to new, learn new things, whether that's the intricacies of Teams or Zoom or whatever. Um, and as you quite rightly point out, they're going to need to perhaps learn different ways of self-care and other areas that will reduce the stress of this new way of being or working that many of them have. Even if they're going into work, there's the added stress of the the need for security and safety for people in a working environment, you know, whether that's in a warehouse or a factory or retail or whatever. So it's not just the home workers, it's right across the board, it's having a, an accelerated impact. Um, now, what's, what I'm seeing happening is a lot of that stuff is being learned on the job as they're doing it. Um, and, and that's arguably perhaps the, the best place for them to be learning it anyway. Yeah. Um, so it isn't about overwhelming them with a whole lot of new content about what they're having to learn. It's actually figuring out from an L&D perspective, what do I need to do right now to help the people in our organization do what they need to do right now in the context they're in right now? Mm. Um, so it's very much an immediacy thing. And a lot of companies did a huge amount of work on that early on in March, April, May, June, and so on. And, and they did. It's incredible what was achieved in such a short time by a lot of companies. I was just amazed. Um, having said that, what I'm also scared of is what was put in place then. Actually, if you have that maintain its place over the longer term, it will prove to be dysfunctional. So what we don't want to do is let those changes that have happened and then people sort of rest on their laurels a bit and saying, oh, we're there, we've done it because a lot of what was put in place perhaps isn't um, functionally sufficient over the longer term. So you still have to keep thinking, what do they need right now? What more is happening? What different is happening? And as we get deeper into the, the pandemic or the ongoing changes, new things will arise that we perhaps haven't thought of that will require new ways of thinking, new ways of doing, new ways of being, which will inevitably mean at least some learning, but also support to people so they can implement that learning effectively in however they're having to do it. Um, and then alongside that, of course, you've got then the higher level strategy that's operating in the organization um, of how is the business going to operate over the next 6, 8, 12, 24, you know, and then two, three years. Mm. So um, that also has to be considered. So you've got that immediate stuff and then you've got the strategic longest term, uh, term stuff that the organization's operating within and you have to cater for both. So there's almost two streams running there for learning and development to be thinking about right now. It's funny, isn't it, that we have uh, this kind of level of impact to socially, um, you know, to, to our world right now that says, oh, we need to reevaluate the way we're going to do something when actually we should always be reevaluating is our solution is what we're doing relevant um, and it shouldn't take a pandemic or lockdown and just go oh is the medium for yep. our solution right it's something a learning function if it wants to build capa um, capability and credibility within a business should be doing all the time because otherwise we could always be missing changes in the organization that means that our solution wasn't right or the medium for delivery wasn't right I think um, that, also, that also makes a good point for something I know you're passionate about, which is making sure that when you are working, you have access to the right knowledge, skills, learning, content that, that's important. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, 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 it comes back to that thing you said earlier about has it really changed what L&D is doing? I think it's changed it massively and it's not changed it much. You yeah. can sort of look at it from two different angles. The basic principles perhaps are still there. We still have to focus on learning transfer. Mm. We still have to focus on how do we get them and help them do their job better and so on. But there's also that immediacy thing. Um, so has COVID changed it? Yes, it has. But actually, in, at some levels, in some ways, the same basic principles are still in place for learning. And that uh, whether we were actually fulfilling those earlier or not, and I think in many cases we were not, but yeah. what the pandemic has done has loosened the cement and the bricks that were the kind of the foundation of how we were doing things. So, in effect, it's a bit like Kurt Lewin's model. Stuff has now been unfrozen to the extent that change is much more easy to implement from L&D perspective. Mm -hmm. So this is a wonderful opportunity for learning and development to change the way it's doing things with a lot less resistance from the senior team, from the organization in general, perhaps that used to be totally addicted to training. Yeah. I needed a 12-step program to bake the addiction. But but now that addiction is kind of broken because they're aware that the way it was done is no longer possible. And they're kind of a little bit at sea of saying, well, if we can't do face-to-face, -face, then what? L&D has the ability to step in and say, well, here's a way to do it. This is what we're going to do going forward. And that kind of proactive stance comes back to what something you and I were chatting about just before we started recording is the how L&D um, sets itself up as a partner, as, as, a, as a proactive part of the organization. And I think it's, it's, it's in a great space right now. I mean, so much learning is required because of the pandemic, because of the rate of change. The, this, we've got this unfreezing of what was perhaps the paradigm of how it was done. It's, it's a great opportunity. I think it really is. Yeah, and you, you um, I know you have a technology solution, you know, one of your products yeah. uh, um, that you have. And so where, where do you see um, the role of technology and performance support tools and, and things that help that kind of learning happen in the flow of work? You know, where, where do you see that working really well? Well, I think, I mean, the technology is clearly... I mean, just imagine if this pandemic had happened 10 or 15 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to do the level of remote working because just the tools were not there. Yeah. Um, so this kind of digital transformation has been accelerated incredibly. The ability to reach out to people over, over, over different uh, space, not so much space and time, but certainly in terms of space, has, has meant that we could function incredibly effectively, uh, amazingly effectively, given the remote nature of, of how we've had to operate. So I think that technology has been a huge enabler. Um, and the same thing is with learning and development. There's a great acceleration in some of the new stuff that's happening. I mean, a lot of things that we're doing, which, which is new. Um, and it's, uh, and, but one of the things that we're very focused on is that kind of shift into away from kind of an event-based learning model which is sort of the traditional classroom and by the way the virtual classroom to a more program uh, model because in in my books if you want to change someone's behavior it means they've got to do something it, it sounds obvious but in order for people to do something different they have to do something <laughs> because if they don't do anything at all there will be no change um, so you've got to actually get them doing things and you will change behavior 
and will deliver new behaviors to them, if you want to put it that way, by getting them to do tasks over a period of time. So what you've really got, in a sense, is a workflow problem, not a learning problem. You've got to deliver lots of little activities spread over a period of time, maybe months, even years, to get them where they're practiced and they've experimented what they've got, what they've got, uh, what they're doing has become habitual and eventually becomes embedded in how they do things. And that sustained ongoing change in behavior just becomes how things are. And that's the sort of the ultimate goal. But you're never going to get that from an event-based approach like the traditional training. You've got to have a problem. So you've got to deliver lots of little things over a period of time. And that, if you look up the definitions, is what a workflow is. A number of actions over a period of time, which leads to a predetermined outcome at the end of it. So that's kind of where our technology focuses, is on managing that workflow, um, those sequence of activities, but from a learning perspective, with the outcome being behavior change. And I think that solves two things, doesn't it? So one of them will be you know, obvious to many of our learning and development kind of listeners, which is sustainability is key. Yeah. So you have to have the, you know, we, we still, but believe it or not, we still see clients that are doing one big training event, to your point, um, and haven't considered what are the, the little continual things that happen. Yeah. And we deliver to people to help that behavior change stop. And I suppose one of the points we are talking about just a minute ago was, never stopping that because you should always be continually evolving and rethinking the, the next stage of the journey or the continual path. But I think the other thing that it does is, is it gets us around a big problem that we've, we've just faced. So a lot of um, operational teams will have a new problem right now, which is capacity. So, you know, less people in a retail estate, less people in offices, uh, more diverse spread workforce, and so capacity and getting people together and, um, you know, some of the luxuries that people might have had operationally are now not there. So the smaller the learning, the easier it is to deploy and keep it there. Um, you know, certainly we're, we're working with an organization right now that just cannot have those people away from the job right now because the workforce is reduced. Yeah. Um, and, and with lots of right-sizing of organizations, which has happened, and I'm sure more of it will come, then operational efficiency will be really key. So for me, one way to build credibility with a business is to be considerate of the problems that, that they're going to be faced with. So little chunks of learning is, is one of the tools to have in your pocket, I think, as a learning person. Yeah, um, yeah little and often and, and extremely relevant to their ex- current needs right now because then they will pay attention because it's useful to me in the moment. Um, but I mean, to be honest, that big event based approach to learning for all that we did so much of it, me included years ago, um, it just doesn't work. It never really did. Um, unless someone had some kind of massive road to Damascus conversion during that training course, which occasionally happened. Absolutely. But by and large, the, the, the results in terms of embedded and sustained behavior shifts following event based learning have always been pretty dismal. Um, and, and that problem hasn't gone away. And in fact, it makes it even worse if you shift it and as an event based into a virtual classroom because you've got potentially even less engagement. Yeah. Now, ultimately, you can get equivalent or more engagement in a virtual classroom, but it takes quite a bit of skill for a facilitator to do that. And most people delivering virtually right now don't have that background of skill. I know people who have been doing it for a decade and they're brilliant in, the class, in, in a virtual classroom yeah. and can get huge levels of engagement and it works, but then they know how to design that. They've been doing it for a long, long time. 
that most virtual stuff that is happening right now is not being done with that level of skill. Yeah, well, so we, we do have event-based learning in our solutions, but we do more and more um, uh, uh, literal deployments of, of content yeah. and learning. But the way that events really shows up for us is about impact. Yeah. You know, we, we, we create impact to make it memorable and to kick something off. So it's usually the start of a program for us. But to your point, the engagement is lower in virtual. So do you get that same impact? I mean, um, yeah, they're great points. Yeah. So um, I want to um, just talk about something else that I know me and you have talked about before. You also mentioned something else in your book, which I think is a really good topic to, uh, for our listeners to cover. Talk about the fact that right now the pandemic is driving organizational um, changes. Yeah. So businesses are now needing to rethink their own organizational design. And I suppose this is a great opportunity for learning to go with them on the journey or probably, or, or maybe even get left behind. So could you just talk to me a little bit more about your views on, on this? Well, there's very few organizations out there that will be running the same business strategy that they had six months ago. Yeah. Very, very few. Um, and if the ones that are sensible will be looking at their business or organizational strategy with scenario planning in mind, because the possibility of massive left or right turns in the road ahead is huge. Is there a vaccine? Is there not a vaccine? Is there a massive second wave or even a third or whatever or not? So the potential for, you know, normally when you're looking into the future, you can sort of extrapolate reasonably, you know, um, unless some massive unforeseen event happens. Well, we've had that unforeseen event. It was called the pandemic. So in other words, we've got now the uh, sort of the several potential futures, which all have reasonably high probability. So any organization worth its salt should be scenario planning when they're looking at their strategies right now. Now, given that they will have two, three, four, five, maybe even more potential scenarios, L&D should be right there in the conversation saying, we need to develop a minimal spec strategy for each of those scenarios. So it's no longer just one L&D strategy. It now needs to be multiple ones based on the scenarios that the senior team is considering. Um, And then you can look across those different L&D strategies and saying, what are the common factors? That means I can work on those knowing they're almost certainly going to come up regardless of which path we end up going down. And then I have to look at the probability of those different scenarios and that will change as we go forward week by week as the government decides on different, you know, regions for lockdown and so on and so forth, then we can start to look at the other aspects of strategy and also answer that question I asked before. Given the current scenario that's happening right now, what do the people need right now to do what they need to do right now and so on and so forth. So so there is a need for L&D to get far more involved with corporate strategy than it ever has. It should have, of course, in the past, but typically didn't do so. Now it's actually even more important and also, they need to step up to the senior board and just say, listen, we need to be involved because, frankly, without us, you're screwed. Because yeah. some of these strategies, the forks in the road are so are such violent turns, if you like, that we're never going to manage to make the turn and come out the other side still on the road without some learning for the people involved with that process, without training and working with the vehicle that's on this road. Yeah, brilliant. And we're kind of back to that key point, aren't we, about how uh, learning and L&D stays proximate to its business. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's a conversation I've always find myself involved in when I'm at learning events and the world of learning or learning tech. People talk about how do I get the credibility to be connected yeah. to the business? And I think, you know, for me, one big uh, key kind of takeaway um, from what you're saying, you, you mentioned it there, I want to use the words, you need to be right in the conversation. And so I think if I look back at the times where I was a learning and development business partner, uh, within a corporate organization. I felt like I partnered the business quite well. And I reflect on that and I think, yeah, I was going to a partnering meeting once a month. So was I right in the conversation? No, I probably wasn't. No, not so at that rate, no. You, you can't adapt 12 times a year just for your monthly meeting. So, you know, I, I think if I was is in more of a learning role rather than a consultant role, what I would be doing is I would be thinking, how am I always in that conversation? So get yourself in there, invite yourself in, because only then can you adapt and move with the business. I think it's a, I love that quote, and you can be right in the conversation. I think the other thing there is that too many times learning and development operates as an order taker. And we've heard this before. I mean, I tend to use the word shopkeeper because it's far more perjurative yeah. <laughs> in a sense. And, and of course, you don't, if you're just walking in the shop and say, I want five of them, please, there's, there's not... It, it's a very different conversation if you walk in a shop say well you got all this great stuff talk me through how we can you know, how we can use it which is a very yeah. different conversation to just going and saying i want five of those so yeah. you, know, you need to turn yourself from a shopkeeper into more of a consultant and then that comes back to that whole performance consultancy and yeah. taking that step back the behavioral needs analysis see the whole thing kind of fits together um and if you start operating that way you also then will improve your brand, your reputation as um, somebody who's in the business working for the business rather than someone on the edge that provides a training service, you know, when asked to do so. Yeah. Uh, All great points. And um, so, Paul, we are coming to the point where we've, uh, we're, we're sort of running out of time. And I think, you know, getting into the whole performance consulting as a, as a kind of trade, if you like, is something we could, uh, we could certainly talk again about. Oh, that's another um, podcast. <laughs> another one, yeah. So I, I, I thoroughly uh, enjoyed listening to some of the key points of your book. I'd urge anyone to go out and, and have a read. It's relatively short, isn't it? So it's an e-book. So people uh, yeah, can download five it. pages, I think. It's, so it's quite a small piece, but very punchy. <laughs> and I think um, it is punchy, and I think it's really on point for the time that we're in right now. So, you know, a couple of the points you've made, um, I think are absolutely perfect. I think for me, the one, the one that I'm taking away is, just to always be right in the conversation. And I think, you know, when you, when you do that as a learning person, you build credibility as well, which tackles, tackles kind of two problems and you can continually evolve the solution you're giving. Is there any um, kind of other key points you just want to um, leave anyone with as we finish up? Well, I think, I mean, you're one being in the conversation, but the conversation you need to have needs to be a business conversation, not a learning one. Yeah. And of course, that means it's got to focus on, well, what do people need to do to execute the business strategy? And therefore, how do they need to behave to execute the strategy? So focus on the behaviors required for effective strategy execution rather than learning or something, memorized knowledge, because it kind of, in a sense, who cares about that? We want to execute the strategy going forward. And that's a bit of a moving feast right now, that strategy, obviously, because of the, the rate of change. It's very hard, and I know this as a learning person, to forget your own agenda and to make sure you're focusing on the business's agenda. I think you know, yeah. that's key for me. Um, brilliant. So very good points, Paul. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to your views. Um, like I said, I'd urge the listeners just to have a, have a look, go on the website and download the, download the ebook. I know you, you're constantly producing 
and um, you're, you're um, always got new points to consider uh, to help learning professionals. So there's anyone to do that. So thank you very much for your time today, Paul. Thank you. All right, nice to just nice on a soapbox. <laughs> nice to speak to you. Yeah, we get on a soapbox for a bit, and uh, I'm sure we'll speak again soon. So thank you for that. Brilliant. Thank you. All the best.